Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com or, uh, and, and, click, and click on Donate to keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. In 1947, in the face of the communist menace and the rise of an international order of nations, the Congressional Allies of the National Association of Evangelicals proposed to amend the Constitution to recognize, quoting, the authority and law of Jesus Christ, Savior and ruler of all nations, through whom are bestowed the blessing of Almighty God. The amendment was defeated eight years later. Over the ensuing decades, liberal Christianity, with its more universal outlook, declined, and conservatives rose up bolstered by the popularity of televangelism and the baby-centric ethic for young conservative Christian women who kept the pews full with their progeny. In the 1970s, Jerry Falwell formerly aligned the Christian right with the Republican Party through what he called his moral majority. They campaigned against feminism, the Equal Rights Amendment, abortion, abortion rights, and gay rights, and played an important role in Reagan's presidential election and re-election and the election of George H.W. Bush after him. 77% of white evangelicals supported the election of Donald Trump, who, in turn, nominated Supreme Court justices who delivered the Christian right's most prized political goal, namely overturning a woman's right to an abortion in the United States, as well as prayer in public school, by the way. This isn't an episode about abortion or any of the other specific policies of the Christian right. It's an episode about the underlying philosophy driving these politics. The grander vision of a country and a planet ruled according to the dictates of conservative Christianity, as conservative Christians understand them, also known as a theocracy. A Christian theocracy. Who are the forces working behind the scenes and in front of the curtain to bring the globe, but honestly America first, closer to a theocratic government? And what is their endgame? Given their recent successes, we would do well to wonder what ultimate goal they may have in mind. This is a, uh, well... It's the beginning of a short series of episodes on the Christian right. My interest in doing this series is to consider, as we always do, the material consequences of this group's supernatural beliefs. Their occultism, in other words. Many of our listeners are hostile to the claims of the Christian right, and often with good reason. But before I began working on this series, I had read very little from the preachers, priests, and theologians who represent this viewpoint. And I think it's actually very important not to knock a thing until you've tried it. If the Christian right's political and spiritual viewpoint is so oppositional to the occult perspective, why is that? What specifically does the occultist reject? A lot of ink has been spilled about the Christian right and its political aspirations, but with the exception of a few scholarly works that I've referenced for context, I want to keep our focus on the primary sources. What are the advocates for theocracy, the prosperity gospel, and purity culture saying in their own words? You'll find I've tended to steer clear of the Christian right's more controversial firebrands in the interest of really wrestling with these ideas. Writers who want to provoke are often less interested in persuading and arguing their case. They preach to the choir, and I am not a singer in that choir. After all, an occultist need not defend Aleister Crowley to make a case for the practice of magic. 
is it possible for us to find any common ground with these conservative Christian thinkers? And what is the occult critique of some of their more wayward pronouncements? I encourage our confessors to approach this topic with an open mind. I promise that I won't pull any punches in my analysis. You won't find me concluding that the world conservative Christianity imagines is the best of all possible worlds for our spiritual welfare, so you can go ahead and rest easy and listen generously as I try and separate, in the biblical parlance, the wheat from the chaff. My name is Dr. Robert C. Thompson. I am the supreme hierophant of your secret order of alchemical actors, bringing you probably the most surprising episodes or episode topics we have yet covered, joined uh, by our grand master of the order, Olivia Litteral. Hello. Are you ready for this? I'm ready to get slightly irritated. I feel like that's all I've been doing to you guys lately is getting you irritated on a varying scale of slightly to vary. I can only be so irritated because I know that I'm going to be irritated. Oh, so you're like... You're, you're primed <laughs> you know for it. I mean, yeah. If you were surprisingly irritated, then you'd be more irritated. Sure. You've been inoculated. You've yeah, been I, vaccinated. I know, I know I'm already going to have <laughs> thoughts about this. So. Savannah Barrett, our sister of the 84th degree, how irritated are you planning to be? I, I don't know if there is a limit, but it's fun. <laughs> you got two Scorpios here, yeah. and shit's this That's not. true, and it's your season, man. We don't know how to shut up. It's the season of the Scorpio. Oh, I don't know how to shut up. Do you know how to shut up? Mm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Savannah had to be here on account of we're talking about the presidency of Ronald Reagan. Woohoo. <laughs> Aren't you glad that that's your brand? Yeah. I feel like Savannah's brand at its heart, though, is oppositionalism. Like, right. like he's her Darth Vader. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a Star Wars fan, she probably doesn't like that either. <laughs> She's going to lay in bed and think about yeah. that. And it's <laughs> evening in America for Savannah, not morning in America. <laughs> so, let's pledge it out, friends. We, the members of the secret order of alchemical actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. All right, let's open up that order of confessors, Olivia. Open, open, open. It's opening. I haven't done this in forever, but it's open. It's pretty good. How it's long open, is, open, this hasn't open, been that open, long? Open. We recorded with Sam what? Like open, a, open, open. Yeah, I don't know, ago? but I don't know what I did. It was pretty good. I'm still in like plug land in oh, my Oh, you head. want to plug. If you say I plug, I won't plug. stop you. This you can is, plug. You can do both. I want people to just like take <laughs> clips of this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's welcome some patrons. Uh, Dumby Reboot. Wait, what? Dumby, but Reboot. Oh, I thought you said dumb V, and I was like... Well, it is dumb V. I can't say the whole word, because gotcha. it'll offend some of our female listeners. Oh. Jeremy R., Emil, but we love you, Dumby. Yeah, I feel that Reboot in my or soul otherwise. a little bit. Jeremy R., Emil B., Tricorn King. Uh-oh. Oh, pretty neat. What the fuck? <laughs> corn monster in our maids? Tricorn. Tricorn monster. Mm-hmm. Maybe with a pirate hat. <laughs> K.M.R., Lilia M., Paul W., Mice Toya? It's M-Y-S. Mice, Ms. Mice. Anthony B., Matt B., and the Space Queen. Oh, whoa. Yeah, the Space that? Queen? The I mean, we have none her? None other. Yes, welcome as a patron of ours. Right? <laughs> Isn't that nice? Well, welcome all of you. Thank you. Yeah, welcome to the family. Say some thanks for our reviews from Carly Carcar. She says we're, or they, I'm guessing, don't want to, don't want to 
assume Carly's gender. Nice. Carly says we're fun and informative and so entertaining. <laughs> Catface22 in the UK got sucked in and knows why it's called Latin America. It's Napoleon. I assume we talked about that. That's very specific. We of have a now reference. published over 200 hours of episodes, <laughs> so. Remind us what that means, Catface. Tony Scargs finally got an iPhone and can rate us on iTunes. Oh my Woo! god, I, love that. <laughs> I wonder if that means that Tony is listening on a completely different platform <laughs> and just snuck over to iTunes to quickly write a Tony, you're awesome. Uh, and uh, the stars are continuing to climb on Spotify. Please, Fr- friends, we're, we're, I think, closing in on 500 stars on Spotify. We are chasing down my secret nemesis in the conspiracy world. We're going to catch this nemesis. <laughs> I feel it. I feel it. <laughs> We can do this together. With your help. With your help. We too. We can do it. <laughs> uh, and we are hovering up over a, a, a good number of, of patrons, uh, but we got to keep that rolling. So please, please, please support your local podcaster. All right, Olivia, close us up. We're closing. I really wanted to sing closing time, but you know, copyright. <laughs> TM. It's done. It's the, closed. It's closed. Which means it's time for the Christian right. Oh, maybe we should open it back up again. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Maybe we shouldn't close it. Sorry. I do think it's important because I think that at our heart, many of our, you know, we have a wonderful thriving Discord community that I love to communicate with. And and it's not uncommon for, it's it's like the assumed in that community that the Christian right is wrong. Mm. (laughs) The right is wrong. Uh, But that's not the only place. I mean, when I was doing my research in the spiritualist church, Many of the people who were in the church were could refer to themselves as reformed Christians or former former Catholics or yeah. reformed Catholics. They left Christianity for reasons, yeah. and I suspect that we will be touching on some of those reasons in this conversation over the next uh, few episodes. But I also want to emphasize that this is not liberal Christianity. This is conservative Christianity. That's what we're addressing here. And and I think many of our listeners are fairly comfortable with liberal Christianity insofar as it embraces the notion that there can be other religions. Um, but conservative Christianity is a political force in the United States. I mean, that's the other thing. I I mean, I'm, I'm doing a lot of caveats. I'm, I'm talking off the cuff here, but our European listeners... Uh, if you don't pay close attention to America, it, it, this may sound a little odd to you, but um, Christianity is a political force in this country. And I know it's it's not necessarily in some European nations, uh, but we have to contend with it. It, it is actually making legislative changes through the Supreme Court. The, like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, great changes are happening in this country because of the things we're going to discuss today in part. Uh, and this is a two-part episode on theocracy, so it's going to take me a couple episodes to just cover theocracy. Uh, but then we'll we'll get to prosperity gospel, which I know many of you have been wanting me to do an episode on. Just get comfy. And then Christian sex ed. So yeah, get comfy. Oh boy. Saddle in. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> that one sounds fun. <laughs> get comfy, yeah. you know, now. You guys can come back because that's also a two-parter. Yes. So you guys can come back and do, do a sex ed episode. Okay. Let's do, let's do politics though. It takes two episodes. It isn't just abstinence. <laughs> nope. No, 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 no. It's, it's weirdly complicated. Huh. Yeah. But I make it weirdly complicated like uh. I do. So yeah. <clears throat> Anyhow. And I read some really interesting sex ed books, but we'll get there. <laughs> For Christians. The Christian rights path. Let's talk about politics today, which is not sexy. The Christian rights path to political power began with a kind of compromise that scholar Sarah Diamond calls fusionism. 
Following the Second World War, Christian moral traditionalists chose to align themselves with anti-regulation libertarians. You know these guys. They say you don't have to wear a seatbelt if you don't want to. That kind of thing. Hmm. Libertarians. Uh, Yeah, right? Well, there's like a scale to be. Yes, yeah. Okay, I was <laughs> like... the far end of the libertarian, but... Yeah. They generally want the government to not have much of a role Hands in regulating our lives. Yeah. That's what I learned in Basic school. Basic libertarian. Uh, so so we have the, the Christian moral traditionalist is joining up with the libertarian, a little bit of fusion, and then they're joining up with this other group who used to be really popular and actually arguably is still undergirding a lot of our conservative politics, and that's the anti-communist movement. Oh, well, that's that's a long, that's been for the long haul. Yeah. Long haul, yeah, since the 30s, uh, yeah. 20s, maybe even. Um, and McCarthyism. McCarthyism is really, like today we talk about anti-socialism. Yeah. You know, we don't talk about anti-communism anymore, but whenever you hear somebody called a socialist, it's drawing on the anti-communist movement. So these were the seeds of modern conservatism and what we call the Republican Party in the United States today. In the period, I mean, Lincoln was a Republican after all in the right. 1860s, mm-hmm. but that's what I mean. Like, there's been a significant change in the makeup of the political parties in the 20th century. The Democratic Party used to be the party of, uh, you know, oppression in the South, for example. And now it's become synonymous with, you know, identity politics. So there's been this sea change through the 20th century. So we're looking at where this got started. In the period between the world wars, the Christian right had been knocked back on its butt as a result of what we now call the Scopes Monkey Trial. You guys familiar with this? No. I would like to be. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> Conservatives with fundamentalist Christian views managed to ban the teaching of Darwinian evolution in Tennessee's schools. Mm. A guy named John Scopes violated that law, instigating a legal case that made its way all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. I think we learned about that in school. It's a pretty significant court trial. It yeah. sounds familiar once you explained it. So Scope was like Scopes a teacher was the who teacher. taught yes, evolution. Yes. And that pissed people off. Well, uh, yeah, the conservative Christian would say, I'm not a monkey. Yeah. So Scopes monkey trial. It's important to keep in mind that Darwin's theories were around 80 years old at the time and had been well and truly litigated within the scientific community and affirmed. So this is not, you know, Darwin published this thing in 1860, so give or take. This is not a new idea. And yet, here we are. Public opinion, as well as the opinion of the Supreme Court, turned against the fundamentalist Christians' literal interpretation of Genesis and attempt to legislate the theory of evolution out of the classroom. This loss resulted in a change of heart among many conservative Christians to retreat from political matters. Evangelicals in particular adopted a premillennialist view that humanity was heading toward Armageddon. If society and culture were going to hell, they said, then so be it. Good Christians, they told themselves, should accept the coming apocalypse without fear. So uh, this was a, a movement away from politics, briefly. After the Scopes Monkey Trial, Christ, evangelical conservative Christians said, okay, fine, if you liberals want to, you know, run <laughs> the country. Destroy the world. Yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah the place. Jesus is going to, that'll just make Jesus come quicker. And we're going to be fine because we're good Christians. Why not just send your kids to a Christian school? That shit costs money. But, like, I know people that went to, like, a school around here that was a Christian school and, like, did not learn evolution. <laughs> like, well, and straight homeschool up. it. So, like, why not just... Yeah, but, Olivia, if we get to the abortion question, if you're not going to have an abortion because that's your morals, why do you care that somebody else does? 
I think it comes down to this. Sure. It's mm-hmm. the spreading of immorality. Sure. They want to establish a Christian. I yeah, mean, that's right. theocracy in a nutshell. Yeah. I need everyone to believe as I do, you know? Yeah. True. I also want to make a note here. We're not going to get to this today, but the literal interpretation of Genesis is theologically important. If we go all the way back to the beginning of the writing of the Bible, there were people who were open to interpreting Adam and Eve as a metaphor, but it was Augustine. you know, a church father who made it basically impossible to look at it as a metaphor, but that's not today's topic. Hmm. Um, So it's not, but I'm just, I want to say it's not insignificant. It seems like, oh, silly Adam and Eve and this stuff, but it's not insignificant theologically for Christians that this be interpreted as a literal story. It's really, you lose a lot of Christianity, original sin, et cetera, et cetera, if you lose the story of Adam and Eve. I thought that shit was so confusing when I was a kid in the church. Like, <laughs> I didn't... Like, I, I remember my mom, like, trying to explain, like, dinosaurs. Like, me being like, what about dinosaurs? And her being like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Like, she couldn't be like, no. Well, she could have, but my mom's cool Christian, you know? <laughs> but, like, liberal Christian. The devil put their bones there. I mean, you sort of have to accept a lot of these things because so much of Augustinian theology, which is central to Christian teaching and thinking, is lost if we lose the literal interpretation of Adam and Eve. And again, we're going to do... I'm I'm looking forward to doing a series on Genesis next year, so give me some time. Occult (laughs) Genesis, yeah. Anyhow, uh, this retreat from politics, as we all know, spoiler alert, was not long-lived. Evangelicals retreated from more liberal denominations, actually, and began to join together to form uh, what what uh, political theorists call parachurch organizations. Oh, parachurch, shit. yeah. Outside the church, but related to religion. Parachurch. Like parasocial? Yeah, yeah, like okay. that, yeah. What was crazy? Following World War II, they also became preoccupied with the fight against communism, which they viewed, not inaccurately in a Soviet context, as atheistic and anti-Christian. You are correct, sir. Yes, in (laughs) Russia, they totally, yeah, drowned out all the, I mean, if you think of China today, religion is the enemy of the Communist Party. It doesn't need to be, but. Well, well, yeah, I guess I'm just thinking about like even like the Communist Manifesto and like religion. Opiate of the masses. It wouldn't. It would break everything. Not everything, but a lot of things. What religion do they follow in Russia? They are Orthodox. They're Christian Orthodox. Oh, okay. Russian Orthodox. Eastern yeah. Orthodox. Because that's what sort of my like family the Greeks, was. Yeah. Yeah. James and them, yeah. But oh, he's yeah, Greek James, Orthodox. Yeah. But yeah, that, it's the Orthodox Church. Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Ukrainian Orthodox. Yeah. They're all yeah. of the same family. They also started seeking a better means to spread their message, our conservative friends. They began lobbying, and their lobbying efforts included working to change the Federal Communications Commission's rules governing religious broadcasts. They succeeded in lifting restrictions on commercial time permitted during religious programming and opened the door for the rise of televangelists, a role legendary in its fundraising capacity. They said there was like a... A limit to how much how much commercial action could be included for in religious broadcasting. Yeah, any religious. Yes, because but we. I mean, there aren't a lot of wicked broadcasts. Right. Yeah. yeah, but like that's yeah. kind of interesting. I didn't. That's why we're commercial free. <laughs> that was a great lead-in. Wow. <laughs> Subscribe Join to our Patreon. Patreon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, we're all we're all ready. We're all <laughs> fundraising. We're all televangelists at heart. Okay, speaking of which, (laughs) we're not going to want to be after this, but 
So they lifted all these rules that were basically preventing televangelists from running commercial stations and fundraising their faces off. But when they got the FCC to change its rules, this creates this new situation where televangelists can pop up like weeds. Televangelists were not only originally interested in raising money, they also had political ambitions. In the 1960s, Pat Robertson's Christian Broadcasting Network launched a political talk show that drew the focus of Robertson's evangelical audience increasingly toward worldly matters. In the idiom of print media, in 1956, Billy Graham founded the magazine Christianity Today, through which he argued that the gospel message should be brought to every aspect of life. This included the political campaign against communism. While Jesus' message was often hostile toward the rich and embraced poverty as a way of life, Graham's magazine had strong capitalist sympathies, and this helped to position the Christian right as a valuable ally for politicians from McCarthy to Reagan and beyond. But the work of the 1950s and 60s evangelical leaders was largely about constructing an infrastructure that would not take special interest in wielding political power until the 1970s, when major social changes got America's evangelicals all hot and riled. Those social changes centered on, can you guess, what in the 1970s is going to upset evangelicals? Any guesses? Vietnam. No, I don't want to. Vietnam. Vietnam. <laughs> no, really, that, I mean, Vietnam's anti-communism, so they're good with that. Okay, Vietnam away. Yeah. But who's yeah, fighting right. the Vietnam War? Who's against the Vietnam War? Who's protesting the Vietnam Hippies. War? Hippies. I feel who like are we're doing what? A test. Having sex. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sex. Yes. Wow, you did it. <laughs> I did it. You did it. Yeah, but there's more than that happening because of birth control. We're also seeing what a change in whose role in the home. Oh, oh woman. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. Whoa. You are taking a test on the seventies. Margaret. Who did contraception? Female contra what what Margaret something? No? <laughs> Guys, come on. <laughs> Margaret Margaret Mitchell? I think she wrote Gone with the Wind. <laughs> Mitchell. <laughs> yes, Gone with the Wind also. Was about she involved here. in this movement? We <laughs> This better be a good Margaret. <laughs> Watch it's like not even not I even want Margaret. Birth control methods. I want like the history of. I don't know if there's going to be a way for me to bring this up, but I watched a really interesting video that apparently there was uh, an amusement park called Holy Land where these people made like a literal like recreation of Jerusalem when Jesus was alive and turned it into this like amusement park, like theme park, like Colonial Williamsburg Jesus yeah, edition. Except it was in Orlando, Florida. <laughs> And they put it right in the center of a Jewish community so that, like, they could try and convert people. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it, I was, gotta around, see this. it was around for, like, 10 is this years. On YouTube? It is. Yeah. Margaret Sanger. <laughs> Margaret Sanger. <laughs> Margaret. I give you Margaret Sanger, everyone. She was, like, birth control. Like, she was the first bitch to be like, here, ladies, take this birth control. Fuck your men. And they did. Well, both. Well, it, yeah, yeah literally. basically. Now you can. Yeah. Without worry. And it was crazy. It's that was times. it. Someone out there appreciated that I just felt that. <laughs> One person. So the social changes we're talking about, as we're saying, centered on sex and gender, the enfranchisement of women, birth control, the legalization of abortion, and the quest for gay civil rights. All things mm -hmm. dating to the 70s. 
Evangelicals lined up in opposition to the Equal Rights Amendment, a change to the U.S. Constitution that would guarantee equal rights for women and was opposed by conservative women led by Phyllis Schlafly, who argued that it denigrated women's role as wives and mothers and would force women into active combat duty in the military. Whoa. Yeah. Interesting argument. Phyllis. Kate Blanchett played Phyllis Schlafly in a, a miniseries. Good old Kate. They also got involved in local school board disputes. Uh, they led the charge, uh, leading the charge for irked evangelicals, uh, however, were the televangelists. In five years, membership in the National Religious Broadcasters quadrupled, and Pat Robertson, who was the first broadcaster to secure a license to air religious programming more than 50% of the time, was running an organization with $51 million uh, operating budget and an audience of 5 million people. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of people. He he does this talk. I mean, I mentioned his talk show, but he, he it's basically like, you know, uh, Johnny Carson or David Letterman. It's a late night talk show, but for Christians. Yeah. So would, he would interview people and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea. He'd sit behind a desk and yeah, it was not as funny. And then be like, <laughs> this is who you need to vote for. Uh, there were politics absolutely yeah. on the table. Yeah. Which actually Johnny Carson tended to steer away from. I mean, he would invite politicians on his show, but Johnny Carson very famously would have a very, I think he was a, li Johnny Carson, I think was a liberal, but he would have, uh, I love to watch Johnny Carson on, on YouTube. <laughs> I love all the old TV shows, but uh, he would be, have very civil conversations with politicians. So they wouldn't, he, there was, it was like a, not a one-sided thing because he was more liberal in perspective, but he would have Reagan sit with him and they would just talk about whatever issues, you know what I mean? But on, on Pat Robertson's show, of course, the bias was going to be deeply conservative you can't really do it like that today i mean do they well colbert i think has a pretty okay. strong political perspective sure. but yeah we nobody cares who not jimmy fallon like, votes for yeah i yeah. guess that's what i'm saying like for the most part it's not yeah yeah i think like trevor noah but that's right like, that's sort of intentionally which, yeah john stewart got that started in that direction yeah in 1979, Jerry Falwell, a Baptist preacher with a large congregation and a weekly broadcast, was approached by the leaders of the New Right, capital New, capital Right, who asked him to form what would become the Moral Majority. That's so presumptuous. That they're moral or that they're a majority? That they're a majority. <laughs> like, I don't know. And that they're moral. Yeah, yeah. that too. Or that there's a moral majority. Like, I don't know. Baptists. Feels condescending. The, it, yeah, because yeah, definitely Only little... because they didn't invite you. Uh, no, I wouldn't have accepted the invitation. <laughs> you're you're, you're hey, one of these job-loving women. for your own women. oppression. Okay, sure. <laughs> okay. Baptists were generally opposed to mixing religion and politics, but Fowell had become upset with what he perceived to be the decay in the nation's morality and performed his I Love America tour in 1976, preaching about social issues. It's a centennial year, so it's a big year, 1976. My I'm parents got sure, married uh, that year. Captain America also did a I Love an America tour. Did he? How'd it go? He went to war after it, I guess. Did I he convince remember. the Baptists to get involved in politics? Yeah, that definitely happened. That was part of it? Does 100%. It he was convincing the military people to give money. That's the weirdest Marvel movie ever. Yeah. No, literally for half the movie, he's like in a goofy costume, like doing stage <laughs> shows, trying to get people to donate to the military. So you're just watching fundraising. Yeah. Boy, people will pay for anything. Yeah, I didn't like Captain America. So you're you're watching fundraising. <laughs> you're in a capitalist exercise to raise money for a corporation where you're watching somebody else raise money. Yep. 
who was experimented on and made super buff and powerful, but they were like, oh, we don't want to use you anyway. And then we're like, go be on stage. So the actor himself is sort of playing a version of who he already is. Yes. Hmm. Focus in the South, the moral majority had formed chapters in 18 states over the course of a year. It grew to have over 4 million members and 2 million donors and functioned as one of the most influential lobbying groups in Washington, D.C. throughout the Reagan administration, falling into decline after Reagan's second term, in part because of the successes they'd enjoyed during the eight years, uh, which took the urgency out of the movement. This it was also inevitable. after he killed all the birds. Well, yes, that that was their main priority. Was <laughs> no momentum in the movement anymore. Yeah. They were like, "Well, I don't, I don't I'm not mad at anything anymore because all the... the birds are dead." I was every morning I would get up and shake my fist at the birds. BB gun in hand. Right, and now I just wake up and I know that they're not actually birds, and I feel so content that I just want to go for a picnic now. My wife is like, what's wrong? I mean, we're making a joke about birds, but this is kind of how it works. I mean, you get real weed up about your political issue, and then if it's satisfied, like if they were to overturn, like re-overturn, like if Roe came back, right, like tomorrow, the Supreme Court's like, oops, we screwed up. In fact, we deprived a lot of women of this right. Then I bet it would be hard to get people to the polls in a couple of weeks because mm, people be like, oh, we're good now. The Supreme Court evened out. They're cool now. We they relaxed. Two second breather. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what happened with the conservatives in the 80s. They got so oh. much of what they wanted that they stopped caring. They were good. America was more or less saved. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> However... Speaking of saved, those successes were often more a matter of appearance than substance. Two million evangelicals voted for Reagan in 1980, but Reagan was more focused on economic and military matters than moral ones. While he opposed abortion and lamented approving limited abortion rights as governor of California, that's right, Ronald Reagan approved abortion rights as governor of California. He did nothing to undo the Supreme Court's decision in Roe v. Wade that made abortion legal. That had only been like seven, eight years before he took office, but he didn't immediately take office and then begin passing legislation. Because it was probably low on his list, except for when he was trying to get the people, right? And because it would be so unpopular. Yeah. Mm. So why mess around with it? Yeah. The Christian rights whispering in your ear and, you know, not really whispering. They're sort of like a rabid terrier barking in your ear. But you're like, shut up, man. I got all this. If I can just start a war in Central America, people won't care. (laughs) Boy, I'm 80s politics today, guys. (laughs) Out of frustration, some anti-abortionists took to bombing clinics and attacking doctors. This was a big thing in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, yeah. But it's because Reagan wouldn't do anything. All he would do, he just ignored the issue. Mm -hmm. So they got super frustrated and got violent. I mean, I... We've never seen that before. Right. I mean, on the right, yeah. I mean, on on both sides, but yes, the right is more associated with acting out. That having been said, though, Reagan uh, talked a libertarian streak about getting the government out of people's lives, which the Christian right interpreted to mean removing liberal ideologues perceived advocacy for abortion rights from their lives. So uh, his libertarianism sort of, you know, assuaged them, most of them. Yeah. They could get on board with this, and this made them fairly steady supporters, despite Rebid's, uh, Rebid's, Reagan's... (laughs) tepid enthusiasm 
for their cause. President Rebid. Petition to change, please. Thank you. <laughs> In his second term, it seemed more like Reagan was dictating the Christian rights politics rather than the other way around. The president's crusade against communists in Latin America neatly aligned with the Christian rights affection for Guatemalan dictator General Efrain Rios Montt. After a crisis of faith, Rios Montt had left the Catholic Church and joined the Evangelical Church of the Word, endearing him to the largely evangelical right. Oh, it's going to get worse, Olivia. So, Falwell and Robertson love this guy. Rios Montt was then convicted of war crimes in 2013 for his Bullets and Beans counterinsurgency campaign, which, which killed 18,000 mostly shit. Mayan indigenous people in 1982 alone, including children and the elderly. It's basically a holocaust. Bullets and beans? Bullets yeah. and beans. Well, because That's... the argument was that he was converting the mines, but in fact he was going in and it was killing anyone who did it. was a holocaust. Yeah, it was a genocide. Yeah. That's insane. Mine genocide. Um, and the Christian... The Christian was like, was like Hell he's yeah. our man. He's our man. In the 80s, they said he's our man. I mean, by 2013, we had really fully fleshed out what the Guatemalan dictator was up to. But there were signs for sure that what he was up to with the Mayans was not OK. This is not the Inquisition. I don't. <laughs> he accused the Mayans of being communist guerrillas and equated them with atheists, even though they practiced traditional Mayan religion. Of course. You know what? These but people... if they're not what they're doing, then they're atheists. Yep. Right. They need to learn how to mind their business. <laughs> Guatemalan well. dictators? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you Robertson and Falwell getting involved in supporting a Guatemalan yeah. dictator. Well, also, he shouldn't be hurting those people, but because they don't believe in what he believes in. It's so fucking annoying. But this. wait, there's more. <laughs> Despite these horrific crimes, Reagan lifted a ban on aid to Guatemala and 350 evangelicals descended on the country, bringing a million dollars worth of supplies to refugee camps. Some of these missionaries may have interrogated Guatemalans on behalf of the Rios Montt regime. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they are assisting in what amounts to a genocide. By 2013, we know it's a genocide, but they're right there. I doubt... 2013. Well, I mean, that's the year that we look back at the okay. 80s and have enough evidence to flesh it out. Okay. But well, still, in the 80s, <laughs> if you're one of those 350 evangelicals who goes to Guatemala, all you really got to do is look around. Like, there are no secrets. No. If 18,000 people are dying, you're going to catch on. But they didn't care. They just don't... Yeah. How just... do you wrap your head around that? You How, probably you have don't. The, you're the moral person, but you're okay with all these people dying. Like, that's insane. It sort of makes me think of the Mel Gibson movie about the indigenous people. Which What I was don't it? Know. Apocalyptica, something like that. You know what I'm talking uh, about? No, I don't. I mean, the underlying ideology is that this is a backward thing, that these are backward people and that their souls need to be saved and, and there's and the, their ways are are, har are barbaric and it's violent like inquisition at its core yeah it, it's a extremely condescending attitude toward indigenous people mm -hmm. to begin with and toward their spirituality and assumes that christian spirituality is always going to be better because of their everlasting souls i mean even darwin when he wrote about like that shit is gets 
dark and uncomfortable in ways that people don't talk about like yeah. when you just learn about darwin until you like the voyage of the whatever the fuck mm -hmm. what i can't remember what the name of it is but the like voyage of the Mimi. when he I starts like that. describing the people and stuff like it's not good like it's very bad <laughs> like it's not accurate either but anyway i don't know Let's talk about Pat Robertson. I know we have been, but let's talk about him some more. The same year as Mont's criminal massacre of Guatemalan's mines, Pat Robertson published The Secret Kingdom, in which he worried over a world that he said has reached the stage where disaster looms on every hand. The world of the 80s, he said, is faced with an imbalance of terror in favor of malevolent dictatorship bent on world domination. <laughs> as they're supporting a dictatorship in Guatemala... He's talking about the Soviet Union there, but yeah, it's ironic. He worried over the uh, booming population, the decreasing availability of fossil fuels, and the uncertainties of nuclear power. He also worried over the rise of the working class, smelling the scent of the Antichrist, which was present at the French Revolution. Oh, Lord, <laughs> And the rise of the Poor Nazis. people are the uh, Antichrist? Do I get a whiff of Antichrist in there? <laughs> In the crowd? <laughs> what does like, it what? smell like? Yeah, like, what does the Antichrist smell like? Flowers. <laughs> Daisies. <laughs> Mark Jacob Daisy. That's yeah. what the Antichrist smells like. <laughs> yes, I, yes. A significant minority, then an actual majority of the people in society will begin to throw off the restraints of history. Then the restraints of written law, the accepted standards of morality, then established religion, and finally, God himself. For Robertson, God and religion were essential pillars holding up the fabric of society itself and would be the last to fall. He observed traditional morality under threat by those demanding the right to free expression, presumably in the form of graphic media. Oh, shit. Tr porn. Drug use was on this. For those of you who are not reading between the lines, drug use was on the rise a reasonable observation in the early 1980s. <laughs> but so was sex education in schools, which appeared to Robertson to advocate masturbation, premarital sex, and homosexuality. All of the above? Yeah. I mean, I doubt that they were promoting homosexuality in the 1980s, but perhaps they were beginning to consider teaching some variant of tolerance at that point. I'm not sure exactly what he means there. I mean, the masturbation and premarital sex is baked into any sex ed class that's worth its salt, but anyway. We did not talk about masturbation in sex ed class. <sighs> Charles yeah, Ledbetter would so. be very disappointed. <laughs> there were increasing numbers of abortions, and perhaps not coincidentally in Robertson's mind, couples living together outside the bonds of marriage. But, I know, these... <laughs> But these conservative moral concerns were not the extent of his critique. It also stretched to less obviously ethical and more overtly political matters. The federal debt, for example, was about to exceed $1 trillion, leaving the economy on the verge of collapse. Oh. Seems ridiculous now, right? I've heard that phrase my entire life. Yes. Every time we hit another trillion dollars, we're it's like, this is it. That. It's that. It's the always... end is here. <laughs> okay. That's literally not how money works. He also noted that in a godless society, the central government becomes God, a not-so-subtle allusion to the small government goals of the then-president Ronald Reagan, who wanted to be able to famously drown the federal government in a bathtub if necessary. <laughs> that's such an extreme. Did he really say that? Yeah, that's a Reaganism, to be able to drown <laughs> the government like, in a bathtub. either bathtub. 
that that's I don't know. That's such an extreme. In fact, small government is not just a Republican dream. It's also part of the larger vision of those seeking a Christian theocracy. Reconstructionists and other believers in Dominion theology envisioned a world without a national government. To solve all these ills, both social and political, Pat Robertson said we should reach from the visible into the invisible and bring the secret kingdom into the visible through its principles, principles that can be adopted at this moment. These principles, Robertson had discerned himself through a careful reading of the Bible, and his formula of applying spiritual principles to worldly matters was distinctly theocratic. God would enter into partnership with those who entered his invisible kingdom and instruct them on how to run things here on earth. It's a bit of magic to this, really. Yeah, sounds like um, the dark pool and yeah, shit. Yeah, God is coming into your head to tell you how to run things. It feels almost a little catholic a little popey. It's a little prophet Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he was saying that yeah. he was the only one who could do it? Well, people, others would be able to do it, but you would have to. He was doing it when he was writing this book, The Secret Kingdom. In 1988, Robertson ran for president in the Republican primaries. Three million people volunteered for his campaign. And uh, Robertson spent $27 million on the run. Good he God. Ma- managed to get a million votes, or 9% of the total. A little bit, little bit odd, since three million were volunteering for him. Uh, <laughs> oh! <laughs> The shade, the subtle shade just caught Savannah and I like. Amazing. Maybe some of them were Democrats. On the strength of his run, because it was the primaries, on the strength of his run, he started the Christian Coalition of America. They sent purportedly nonpartisan voter guides to churches, but critics questioned the guide's nonpartisan nature, and the IRS eventually revoked the coalition's nonprofit status. That was in 1999. Robertson also got involved in the national campaign to defund the National Endowment for the Arts, which had given money to gay, lesbian, and feminist artists the Christian right found offensive. I also talked about this straight in artists class. and... Uh, yes. This was Christian artists exist. And I assume they get funding? I don't really know. Well, that's... We're going <laughs> to Do they them. need it? They well, don't need it. Yeah, fuck artists. Jars of clay <laughs> made plenty of money on their own. This was an echo that was for ver- nobody here, I guess. It was he an knows. echo. It was one of the. Early, it was a okay. Christian rock band, and then an echo of his 1982 worry over free expression. Of particular concern were Andre Serrano's photograph of a crucifix submerged in a yellow liquid called the Piss Christ. Also, <laughs> wait, can what? you walk Hold that on. back? Yeah, you need it's to... a famous image. It's Andre Serrano. He photographed a crucifix in a in a in a yellow liquid. That's kind of yeah. That's As like art, Piss Christ anti like it's hard Christian to say exactly what it means you it's it's good visual art doesn't tell you what it means but yeah. okay. you can read into it as you please he did call it piss christ <laughs> has a has a certain tone to it <laughs> <laughs> then there was robert Ma- maplethorpe's explicit homosexual photographs gay performance artist tim miller who stripped during his performances i've seen tim miller perform uh, lesbian playwright and performer Holly, he's very good. Lesbian playwright and performer Holly Hughes, feminist performer Karen Finley, and then the actor John Fleck. Robertson did a tremendous work mobilizing conservative Christians as a political group, but he also unintentionally shifted their attention away from national elections. His defeat at the national level prompted some politically minded conservative Christians to turn their attention to local politics and the courts. The seeds he helped plant grew 
into the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade and to reinstate teachers' and coaches' right to conduct prayers at public schools just in the last year. So there is a direct line between Pat Robertson's campaign in 1988 and what happened in the United States Supreme Court Mm. because Christians quit running for president or evangelicals. The far right gave that up or the evangelical right gave that up. And they decided they would exclusively focus on local politics, raising up local politicians and pressuring politicians to change the shape of the courts. It's almost like more dangerous. It succeeded. It was yeah. it was pretty brilliant. I got to give them props. It worked remarkably well. It took the left off. It like the left was just knocked on its butt. People were shocked by these, by what happened. Mitch McConnell's ability to manipulate the Senate in order to install mm. ultimately a couple of very conservative justices, a series of very conservative justices who have been voting as a block and have been brought all of these uh, ideas, these uh, or these cases. That's it for me. Uh, thoughts on on this? This is the politics side. The philosophy side will be next episode. <laughs> I like. I don't even know. For some reason, all I keep thinking about is how in high school I, did you have like they had a controlled like Christian group that you could. What? So it was like they, controlled they, as in like they kept them in a cage. No, so or? like they spun it as like a club. Uh-huh. But so you would get to school like way early in the morning, like before the school is open and they would like put the flags up and shit, but then they would like have like kind of like Bible study, but not, it would be like, they would have their like Christian meeting of sorts. And then Christians raised the flag every day. Well, I, I don't know if that was like an everyday thing, but I saw them do it a lot. Um, but like Sometimes it was the pride club. So they would like stand in a circle outside and stuff. But then I think sometimes they also did stuff in the school and they had like a name like for the group. I had multiple people try to get me to do this group and I was like, you're barking up the yeah, wrong tree. They were tree. trying to save you, Olivia. Yeah, well, I was goodness. in youth group with my mom still at that oh, point, but okay. like not like I was just chilling. Yeah. And like they were like, Come talk about Christ. And I was like, it's it's 6 a.m. I'm good. We'll let you put the flag up. I'm good. Bro- oh, <laughs> shit. You got me. That's how they get you. That's the political agenda. I think the janitors put the flag up at our school. Yeah, we didn't have anything like that at my school. I don't. At least I don't okay, remember. Because it was definitely a thing. I, I, I can't remember what it was I've called. I've seen it in media, like TV shows and stuff. I've seen the Christian clubs. I had never like come across this besides that. At North Carolina was the only because like not in middle of school or anything like that. We didn't have anything like that. Was... We didn't at college. I was I was surprised because when I got to college, uh, we were affiliated with the Lutheran Church and there were religious oh. clubs. There was a club that made puppets and did Christian puppet shows. <laughs> oh no no! One of no. my very good friends, who is still a friend of mine today, was in the Christian puppet <laughs> group. Yeah, but yeah, I, in high school, you're right, Savannah, I did not have anything like that. I wonder, that makes me wonder if that's like because of the area It's possible. that we live in. Yeah. Or like, because it's not even like a lot of those kids didn't go to the same church as me. Like they went to all wherever, you know, but yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. 
any other? Do you see any other signs of this? I mean, do, do, do you feel my message that we're dealing with the fruits of this today? Yeah. I mean, even with a Democratic Congress and a Democratic president, there's nothing to be done. I mean, we're literally like dealing with Roe v. Wade. Yeah. That you, know. you can't be stopped because the movement successfully transformed the courts, which are a full branch of government capable of tossing out laws. That's what they've been focusing on this entire time. Yeah. They seem to be silly and, you know, off to the side and not directly involved, but they've been working this problem the whole time. And Because I'm pretty sure even like, I might be wrong, but the UK, like, I'm pretty sure women just have access to abortions, right? Like well, a number of countries, it's within far, yeah. their healthcare. Well, I remember there, I think one of our like listeners like was saying something to me about it before or something, but I just thought that that just like obviously means like in America, there's specifically like shit going down that's not the same, I guess. It's what against you're saying, the grain. Like, politically, I yeah, don't... it's against the grain. We are unique in this Christian rightiness and its power and its theocratic ambition. Because of these people setting that up, you think? Ah, man, I, I mean, I'm not going to get into this and I can only speculate. There are people who study these things, but frankly, they're often just guessing. We are a nation that fundamentally we can never forget was founded by the people that the British threw out because their religious beliefs were too extreme. Yeah, that is, very that is true. So I, many people and sociologists and very fancy scholars have said, that this we are a Puritan nation at heart, and we can never shake it. Uh, that may have something to do with it. We should still try and shake it, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the tent revival meetings in the United States, and that's an interest of mine, those go back to the beginning of the country. In the 18th century and the 17th century, we were doing these revivals, Christian revivals that were sort of like on-edge, fervent Christian you know, belief and, you know, coming to Jesus, literally coming to Jesus. And we've been, we've done that straight through the 20th century up to the present day. People can do it on their TVs now or YouTube or yeah. whatever. It's definitely a lot easier to access this kind of stuff nowadays too. And it's not your staid, like, you know, polite Protestantism where you quietly go to church in your fancy clothes every Sunday and then you go home and don't worry about it again for the rest of the week. It's, it's a, a rabid kind of christianity well and a lot of it like even just like it's like super masked like i don't know I, this is coming from being in youth groups growing up and then like going to youth rallies and stuff like that like youth rallies are kind of scary <laughs> like it's scary because it's like a bunch of young people and the way that they like they talk about things like abstinence but they they like i want to say they mask it in like a a fun way, but they kind of do, do you know, like, like, You're even cheering with Christian for rock abstinence. bands, yeah, like, yeah. they'll Jars like, play. play, have them play, they've got a guy come in and do some sand art for God, and then they'll have a lady come in and be like, abstinence, 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 and then they'll be like, okay, let's all do prayers and talk about our sins, and then they make you feel bad, because yeah. you just talked about abstinence, and if you weren't one of those kids that was doing abstinence, then you were like, well, shit. I got to cry in this group and pray. Or even if you've been thinking about a penis or a vagina, I, I mean, it like, isn't yours. I didn't even like, I was sitting there not even really believing in God. And I got like, I would cry when we were praying because I was like, I'm bad. Like, and Jesus. I didn't even believe in God. So it's like a whole, God damn. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it gets like. They, Savannah's over here just blaspheming. It, 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 like, <laughs> I didn't grow up 
like this. It's, I, me neither. Me neither. Yeah. It's, scary. it's it is scary. very strange. Like it's a really weird. It's like brainwashing. It. I don't want to say that because it's not all bad, but it's like a lot of it. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it is bad. It's bad, but it like uh, they try to make it. I don't want to say they mask it as something that it's not because they're not like they're telling you what they're saying, but they make it. They're true believers. Than it is, I, I guess. I, they, they, yeah, they're true believers, and and I have to give them credit for that. And I am jealous sometimes of people who are true believers. I am a true believer in certain things, but I also hold very strongly to the belief that everyone needs to come to their own beliefs, and that no one has the right line on exactly the nature of God. I mean, that's sort of the theme of the show. So I yes, they're persuasive. The true believer. And they can cheer and scream and shout. Like, this is not a show where we cheer and scream and shout over pluralism. <laughs> Paganism. <laughs> I mean, pagans we can have do. a good time. Yeah. But do, yeah. I mean, it's just like we're not like, this is the truth and this will get you into heaven. It's easier to jump and cheer, I think, when you believe that. Well, we don't even just express like one truth. We talk about. A bajillion truths and here in this place yeah but not in that tent no uh, no <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. but no. that leaves the listener or any human being with choices and choices are far less i don't it, it's not a rock a choice is not a rock to stand on it's you know you're looking for that rock or maybe you're standing on multiple rocks but you go to olivia's youth rally and there's a rock it's right there oh like they they made the whole columbine they made so political for like at least with like in like christianity even like i mean i was in like quote unquote fun christianity but like why because so there was i think it was columbine but there was this one girl i guess and the everyone honed in on her because she was a christian and i guess one of the guys was like do you believe in god or whatever and oh she yeah said, that's right she, so said, she said yes, yes i do and she died and he shot her but she became this, like, so her parents wrote a book. They oh. came and they toured, and it became this huge thing. And every year she was we would go to the youth yeah. rally. And she was. She was a martyr. A modern-day Christian martyr. And we were essentially, they didn't tell us, like, that's what you should be. But they were telling us, that's what you should be. Which, to me, was, like, super political in the way that I was, like, even then was, like, well, that's, that's not. <laughs> we shouldn't be telling a bunch of, like, 6th through 12th graders i i don't know it It, is core christianity though i mean saint stephen i mean if you look back to day one that's what made a christian was the willingness to die for that belief and they were telling a a venue full of kids this it's scary not that long ago like it's scary stuff it I, i don't know i i'd be curious to see like what my mom thinks about it now today yeah but. Well, give her a poll and come back and let us know. <laughs> yeah. All right, bring us on home. I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors till such time as we get together and do it again. So ends part one. As I said, part two, we're going to dig into the philosophy. I'm going to argue uh, with a guy named Bonson, who is one of the major philosophers of Christian theocracy. Uh, and I, I do think many of you will be delighted by the way I deconstruct his uh, his analysis of the New Testament. Um, I am not a New Testament scholar by any stretch, but here comes the occultist. This is an outsider's perspective 
on some craziness. Uh, I'm joined this day. My name is Dr. Rob C. Thompson. Joined this day by Olivia Literal, our grandmaster. That's me. And Savannah Barrett, sister of the 84th degree. Hello. I mean, goodbye. Also, check out this really cool video called, from Expedition Theme Park about uh, Holy Land. That's what it's, it's called Holy Land. So you can search Expedition Theme Park Holy Land. Yeah, that's okay. the name of the YouTube channel. And then Holy Land is like, it, it's that's about an amusement park that was made to, uh, it was made to recreate Jerusalem when uh, Jesus was like alive and basically just be like a giant church slash amusement park. Is this still going? No, it just closed. Damn oh. it, I wanted to take a field no, trip. No, dude, COVID killed yeah, it. I know, right? COVID killed it. Yeah, I swear to God. But it, because it, oh, it was, it's so interesting. But yeah, like televangelists, like it was run by this one guy who was trying to convert. Like uh, he put it right in the middle of a Jewish community trying to convert as many Jewish people as possible. Wild. Yeah. And then he lost so much money on it that he sold it to these televangelists. And these televangelists were running it for a really, really long time. And the guy, he did such a good job editing the video. There's like one video where you can hear the woman from the televangelist being like, Oh, you know, you know, you just gave, you just got all that money from a dead relative, and uh, God wants you to give that money to us so we can run Holy Land and shit like that. And it's like, what the fuck? And yeah, it, it was, it's a, such an interesting video. Check that shit out. Check it out, man, and come back for more conservative Christianity here on Occult Confessions. Bye.